Oh, we've got a great one this week. We got Joe Abud on, who is literally one of the most respected shoulder specialists in the world. He's absolutely prolific when it comes to education and the courses that he's involved in. Uh, his passion for uh, education is second to none. He's got his new shoulder course coming up, the Shoulder 360, which I'm actually really excited to hear about. It's really going to change how courses are done as far as innovation and inclusion of the of the audience and the as well as the guests. Uh, we really talk about some of his extraordinary work that he's doing beyond uh, medicine at this point. He's gotten several extra degrees from Harvard Business School, as well as uh, done a blockchain technology course at MIT Sloan School of Management. He's a fascinating man, literally one of the leaders in shoulders. Such a privilege to have him on the show. I know you're going to love it. Hashtag follow the fro. From Medical Media, this is The Ortho Show. Hello world, Dr. Scott Sigmund, your favorite opioid-sparing orthopedic surgeon here for another episode of The Ortho Show podcast, where we bring you the best of the best in the orthopedic space. We are really excited today. We're so back to be back in the studio and uh, producing and getting uh, these amazing orthopedic surgeons on the air. Today, we have Dr. Joseph Abood, who's the professor of orthopedic surgery at the Rothman Clinic, as well as Thomas Jefferson School of Medicine in Philadelphia. He is a shoulder and elbow specialist. He's the chief medical officer for the National Platform for Rothman, also the vice chairman of the exclusive club, the American Shoulder and Elbow Society. Uh, And I would like to say, I'm going to lead in here, Joe, that you are one of the most prolific and respected shoulder specialists in the United States. How's that for an intro? Thank you. I, I appreciate it. Um, you know, you got to work hard every day to, to kind of do your best and uh, earn that. So um, hopefully we'll do a great job of this podcast. And uh, thank you. Yeah, it's my pleasure. No doubt. We're going to tell your unique story of sort of how you got to where you are, the passions that you have for education in particular. We know that that's a, it's a big deal for you, but we always like to just start, sort of start from the beginning. And, you know, so why orthopedics, you know, who was, who influenced you in that direction when you were younger? Was it, was it a destiny thing for you? Tell us about, you know, how you got to orthopedics. Yes. Yeah, it's one of those things that uh, as a young kid, I had no doctors in my family. I had no, um, inclination that I was going to go into medicine for sure. Um, full disclosure, uh, I immigrated here at five. And so I typical immigrant parents who want you to either be a doctor, a lawyer or engineer. Um, so that was kind of, I guess, in my mind. And then um, as I got older, I kind of gravitate, gravitated towards the sciences, um, went to med school, thought I'd be an infectious disease specialist and did not enjoy that. Did my uh, orthopedic uh, uh, elective uh, as a three, which uh, is pretty late in the game uh, these days, and thought orthopedics was pretty cool, some interesting stuff that they get to do. And then uh, applied and was lucky enough to match in orthopedics. Had some shoulder problems myself. And so during residency, I had my mentor, uh, Jerry Williams, operate on my shoulder and started thinking about shoulder as kind of the area that I'd like to kind of further explore. Did some research in shoulder in the lab uh, over at Penn, and um, things just fit and just happened. There was uh, nothing planned. It just sort of happened. 
Yeah, no, it's interesting. Everybody sort of finds their own path. You know, we've got some where, where the, you know, some of our guest fathers were orthopedic surgeons. You know, uh, we just had Mort on last week and then other people it just sort of finds them eventually. So were you so you spent a lot of time in Philadelphia for all your graduate work. Were you were you born and bred in Philly or where where, where did you spend most of your childhood? Yes, yeah, so I, I was born actually in Beirut, Lebanon. Um, I left during the beginning of the Civil War, I actually left on a, uh, uh, a freight ship um, and uh, came here in 77. And then as a youth, I would spend the year here and then go over there for the summers to see my extended family. Um, but pretty much, I mean, I lived in California a little while, and, but I would say uh, I'm, a, I'm a Philly guy. I've been here uh, since I was 10 full time. Uh, did all my schooling here except for four years at Georgetown. So, uh, and then, uh, you know, I don't know how much you follow this area, but uh, I grew up in Delaware County. Uh, being a Delco guy is a big deal. So I'm, I'm a, I grew up in Delco. So kind of a, has its own sort of meaning around this area. Yeah, no, I, it's, uh, you know, I grew up in Baltimore. So just right down the road from you guys, but uh, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> I think of Philadelphia, I think of, uh, I think of the rabid fans, right, for the Eagles game and the Philly special, which really still hurts us up here in Boston for the uh, Super Bowl. I know you guys were thrilled for that play, but that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, well, we got we got one. I think Tom Brady got a lot more than that. <laughs> yeah, we'll see what his retirement. He's retired. He's not retired. I think uh, we have to wait for the press conference from Giselle to really find out what's going on. I think, but uh, yeah, but that's yeah. All good. Yeah, so definitely. I mean, I, I, we, we do our research here for sure. And, uh, you know, you spent a, a lot of time in Philadelphia, right? You went to Georgetown for medical school, and then you did your residency at Penn, and then you did uh, a fellowship and, and stuck around. You know, one of the things that we sort of joke around about now on, on the Ortho Show, we had Jay Parvizio on last week. I'm not sure uh, if he told you that or not, but he'll be on in a couple of weeks. We just recorded him. But we, when we do the research, we look things up and, uh, you know, we've only had two guests on the Ortho Show that have Wikipedia pages. And so that that's, you know, Rod Woodson as an NFL Hall of Famer and, and Jay Parvizi. So so we, we always look and I did look you up. And so I have good news and bad news when it comes to Wikipedia. So the good news is there is a Joseph Abood Wikipedia page. The bad news is it's not you. It's Joseph Abood from the clothing world. So I'm sure yeah. you get that a lot. Right. How often oh, yeah. do you get that? Oh, yeah. Uh, it's amazing. You know, I don't think people are aware, but. He's been around since I was a teenager. So for the last 40 years, uh, I remember just people taking cutouts from magazines and, and showing them to me To I've had patients bring me hangers that had Joseph Abood on them. I've had them buy me clothing. I've had them ask me if he's my father. And sometimes I'll play along. I'll be like, oh, yeah, dad, you know, I, I didn't really get into the clothing business. I should have. And they'll, you know, they'll get all confused. I've had people when I go to a hotel think, um, I'm the designer and I'll sometimes joke around and play along. Oh, there's no question. I mean, for, you know, he's getting calls for shoulder consults left and right too. You know that, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. If you guys yeah, ever meet ne- each other. Never crossed paths, never met, nothing. Oh, I can I can tell you, it would be an interesting conversation if the two of you did. That's for sure. Probably there'd be stories on both sides. So what, you know, when I, when I think of, of, of Joseph Abood, I think of, you know, education. And, and it's a, it's a great passion for you. We joke around with you all the time. I'm like, you need to have a medical license in every state 
so that you can actually take care of patients because you're so you're so you're so sought after within the shoulder world to be on the faculty of all these conferences. So I, we were just down in, in Fort Lauderdale for the Technology and Innovative and Orthopedic Symposium this weekend as well. So, I mean, obviously that it's a, it's a labor of love, I'm sure. Uh, it's a lot of time and energy. It's a lot of time and energy away from your clinical practice. So just, just tell us about that and how it's developed and, and, and where it's taken you. A lot of things I obviously enjoy. I, I really enjoy educating. Um, and I always tell the residents and fellows, every skill set uh, as a you know, orthopedic surgeon needs practice and work. So none of them overlap. So you could be the smartest resident and have the highest in training, but that means nothing about your hand-eye coordination, your surgical skill, which means nothing about your bedside manner, which means nothing about your ability to ask a question and conduct a study, which means nothing about how you, how you write, which means nothing about how you put talks together, which means nothing about how you're able to speak in a public setting and, and get your message, message across. All those need practice. And uh, over the years, I would, I would say probably 15 years ago, if I had to give a talk, you know, I'd be a little bit nervous. My heart rate would probably be up a little bit. I'd get in front of the crowd and, you know, do the talk, but it uh, didn't feel very natural. And then over the years, as you do it more like anything else, it becomes easier and easier. Um, and really, um, I think as I've gotten older, I've realized that when you are asked to talk, people want to learn something, obviously. They want your opinion, some level five, just opinion based on what you think and your experience. And they want, they, want to entertain, they want to be entertained. They want to show, right? They want to have a good time. I mean, people don't pay to go to a meeting, to sit in the audience, to have you regurgitate a textbook. And so for me, I really enjoy the process of when I put a talk together, thinking about, okay, what message am I giving here? Am I giving the audience what they want as far as um, – background material, but then also a, a, a fun educational experience uh, where they go back and they think about it and they like kind of laugh and chuckle about some of the things that we do, uh, which I think is fun. I like, I like putting meetings together. I like planning meetings. So I've, I've, I've done a lot of uh, meeting things that I've uh, over the years been involved with. And I really enjoy the aspect of getting faculty together, together, picking topics, setting up debate patterns, panels, Really making sure that, again, the, the, you have to have some showmanship and the, and the show must go on. And, and, you know, medicine is medicine, but it's also entertainment uh, when you go to these conferences. So it's fun. Yeah, no, I, I think that's great. It's actually a really good description. And I think for our younger listeners out there, the residents and fellows, I'm sure that's very wise counsel that you're providing. I'm just curious, tell us just about the percentage of time. I mean, you, you know, you're, you're, you're in academics and then you're also you know, running around teaching these courses, but you also love to take care of patients too and operate. And so what's the yeah. percentage of time you're in the clinic versus all the other stuff you're doing? You know, Rothman, as you know, we are a private practice with a strong academic affiliation and we educate. So I have a resident and a fellow every day in the clinic, as well as both of them in the OR with me. I would say I would end up probably going to meetings somewhere in the range of about 50 work days a year. So I'll miss a Friday or a Thursday or something on a, on a normal year, you know, pre-pandemic. Now, in this time frame, starting to get back into that, that, that swing of things. But, um, you know, still doing over 500 cases a year. Um, you know, my passion, and I, I, was, I was trying to remind myself and my trainees that 
the first thing is patient care. Everything comes from patient care. You know, that's, that's your biggest, hopefully your, your biggest passion, your biggest strength. And as you get better and better at that, then the other things come about from it, asking questions, teaching about it. Uh, but you have to be dedicated to patient care and you have to really be passionate about it. And patients can tell if you're just talking versus you're actually truly interested and caring. Um, and it's not just about being the technical aspect of a surgeon. It's about sitting in the room, looking them out of the eye and making sure you connect with them. They understand what you're saying. They don't really care too often about your CV. What they care about is you as a human being, you seem genuine, empathetic. You seem to understand their problem. You, you lay out a plan of care and you execute it and <clears throat> you follow through. You know, it's not based on what you've done in the past. Every patient deserves and gets the the best of you. and They should. That's what they sign up for. Yeah, and that's a great point. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be in the room for an hour either. I mean, patients are very good judges of, of people, right? I mean, there's a few things, you know, you always sit down in the chair, you're always a little lower than the patient above, you always listen, uh, you know, you, you make make sure that the time that you're with that patient is really high quality time. One of the other things I always tell all of my staff is, you know, our patient's time is just as valuable as ours. So let's try to be as efficient as possible, getting people into rooms, being seen in a timely fashion. They're never happy if they sit in the waiting room for two hours and then have 10 minutes with you or less. So, I mean, I think that's, you know, great counsel. And, you know, I'm sure your residents and fellows really, you know, sort of listen to every word and, and try and capture as much knowledge as they can at the limited time that they're with you. So, you know, again, you, you've been passionate about courses and I'd like to talk about, give you an opportunity to talk about your newest course, which is the Shoulder 360 course. I think there's some things that you're doing in that course, which are going to be unique. And, you know, we say this on the Ortho Show all the time, you know, success is dinner and a show, right? You don't want to just provide people that basic PowerPoint presentation and hopefully, hopefully they learn. So tell us a little bit about, you know, the, the structure of the 360 course, you know, who's going to be there? Is it all aspects of shoulder? You know, we'd love to hear about it. This is something that uh, me and my two uh, partners in this, uh, Rafi Merzayan and Paul Sethi, we've talked about doing this for a while, about, I would say, 15 months ago. You know, we did all the stuff you have to do to, to start a meeting, right? Nonprofit, start the, uh, the process of finding a venue, location, length of days, faculty, etc. So, you know, it's interesting. We all have different strengths uh, as the three of us try to plan this together. And it's been a lot of fun because we really want to have a shoulder course that's educational, that's fun, that people will want to come back to year after year. We also, listen, location is, is important. So location, location, location. Uh, we felt that uh, the area of South Florida, South Beach, Miami is underutilized for large educational venues. Got in a great location. We were able to uh, be blessed in getting, I would say, the, the cream of the crop and shoulder uh, faculty. And then we worked on putting together a program that was extremely interactive. So what I mean by that is, you know, e even panels, uh, sometimes these days have gotten a little bit dry. So we've taken it one step above. We actually are going to have kind of like the NBA dunk contest. We're going to have three judges in addition to a regular moderator and the speakers. And there's going to be a period of time where a speaker gives a five or six minute talk and the judges will weigh in either with commentary or scores as to, you know, what they thought of that talk, how they did, did they hit it? Did they miss it? Are, are there problems? 
We're going to also have continuous live chat running through the meeting so that it's it'll be through our app to allow audience to engage and say, hey, Scott's doing a great time, great job right now talking. Or, you know, Scott's really missing the point here. You're losing people. We're getting bored. And he's going to see that real time and feedback and see that on the screen and, and start thinking, well, I better move on off this point because people aren't really interested in hearing more and more about this. So we really want it to be, you know, very engaged with the audience, uh, real-time feedback. We, we tried to cover topics that um, I, I think uh, some of them are traditionally important. Some of them are, are hot topics. Um, so there's some interesting things you can do in, in, uh, in Florida. Or we're going to plan on having a, uh, a night in Havana as one of our receptions and have a, have a band and a cigar rolling. And so we're going to try to really uh, enjoy and soak in the culture and the experience for people who come down there. Uh, make it a, a, a fun, uh, hopefully, family event that people will come down to year after year. You know, it's interesting with COVID, uh, the traditional society meetings are struggling, right? Uh, you know, people are just not traveling to be able to go to these things. And and the, it's the same thing for, for messaging within the medical device industry. You know, how do you get FaceTime? So I think, you know, innovation... Uh, within within sales within these types of meetings, I think is fantastic because you know changing it up, uh, creating different ground rules, making it exciting so that people want to make the the trip. So so you know, great job and excited. This is the first. This is the inaugural uh, uh, meeting. Yeah, is that our, correct? Yeah, it's an our inaugural meeting, and uh, I always say uh, these meetings are like uh, like weddings in some ways. I mean, they're uh, <laughs> a lot of work. Uh, this one's a you know a three day wedding so to speak, so you've got to think about all the things your guests who's coming from where the rooms the the food the you know the AV everything so you know now this at this time we have basically three months and counting so we meet almost if not every day periodically for a, a call or a text uh, we meet every week for a couple hours to make sure that we have everything sort of. Uh, ready to go. We, we've been uh, blessed with a lot of industry support to, uh, to the, for the meeting. Uh, they're really excited about it. Yeah, I mean, I'll give you a piece of advice. I think you should uh, throw some free stuff out there too. Uh, do some live streaming on some of the really cool things so that people can understand and see what you're talking about, why your meeting is different, uh, or at least be able to get some video of that, pop it up onto LinkedIn, maybe even do LinkedIn Live. Yeah. Uh, so, so you can generate some interest and people are like, hey, what's that all about, you know? Yeah, that's, that's a great idea, Scott. We've actually partnered um, to some extent uh, on the educational side uh, with Ortho Bullets. Uh, as you know, they're a big uh, player in, in, the, in the sphere. So I don't know if we're going we're gonna to stream it live, but we're definitely going to have the content available and archived and played. And we'll probably stream some of it live. Yeah, that sounds good. So look, at the, on the Ortho Show, we always like to throw some shout outs to, to the people that we know and love. And, you know, one of the, so I, I sort of describe it as my orthopedic wolf pack, you know, when you, I still, I've been in practice for 25 years and I would say maybe twice a year, maybe three times a year, like a patient will walk in with a, a, a constellation of things that I've never seen before, despite, you know, being in practice for as long as we go, that's why we call it practice. So, you know, I lean on on my buds like Eamon Ferry, Paul Favorito, Sharif Pache, Sean McMillan. And we got like a cool little chat room that we have going on at all times where we could pop up cases. Who's in your wolf pack? Who are the people that you could you feel really comfortable going to on a complex case where you want to try and gain additional experience? I have a, a couple really uh, important ones. Adam Murthy in Baltimore is uh, a great uh, friend and a person that I bounce ideas off of as far as patient care or just uh, issues. Um, Jerry Williams has been my mentor throughout my career 
and he's, uh, you know, he's, he's seen almost everything. So he's somebody that I bounce cases off of all the time uh, or, or questions or just life issues in general. Um, as far as, you know, administrative aspect of, of, of being in medicine and being in a big practice, uh, speak a lot with our chairman, Alex Vicaro, and he gives me a lot of insight on, you know, ways to navigate some of the, some of the political uh, arenas of, of medicine, obviously. So uh, th- those three have been really important uh, in the last, uh, well, Jerry's been important since, uh, honestly, he operated on me when I was uh, 26 years old. Similar story for me. J.R. Richmond scoped my knee when I was a junior at Tufts University. And so I'll never forget my orthopedic residency interview. And uh, they said, you know, how did you know that you wanted to do this? I said, well, J.R. operated on my knee and it went really well. So, but yeah, it's a, so it was funny that that could be there as well. So, so look, let's talk. So we're getting close to the end, but you've had some some uh, interesting decisions, you know, later in your professional life, as far as, you know, gaining some additional education. And uh, so you've gone back to, to Harvard Business School, you've done a couple things, you've done the surgical leadership program, you got the executive MBA equivalent as well. You know, tell us about that. What was what was the rationale? And, and are you pleased with having gone through it? Has it helped you? We'd love to hear. As you get older, naturally, you get more responsibility. And there are things that we're taught, like how to operate, how to see patients. And there are things that we learn on the fly, like how to actually teach, right? No one, not many of us get formal education in how do we, how do you actually teach people? Uh, and I, I saw as I was going up the ranks in different societies or the practice, getting more and more leadership roles, but being s- sort of passionate and obsessed about, you know, how do you lead? Because I know how to lead in an OR, that's very different than leading in a, in a boardroom or in a, in a, in a group where you're uh, running, a, let's say, a uh, industry foundation group for the ASCS. How do you get people to buy in and be engaged and want to work on you know, a committee with you? And so for me, the first thing I, <clears throat> I did was I was going to do a, uh, a traditional MBA and I started it. It was at, uh, at Temple. But it, it wasn't for me. It was too much in the weeds of accounting and finance and statistics. And so the general manager program at Harvard uh, is the executive MBA equivalent that Harvard has. And during COVID, it worked out in my, in my favor because typically that program, you have to be up in Boston two months straight and then virtual two months. But they allowed it to be f- fully virtual for four months. And because our volume was down and my work was, I was able to do that program. And there's so many things I learned about strategy, leadership, finance, uh, accounting, how to talk to talk with your administrators, with your teams, how to bring teams together, effective leadership styles. um, How, you know, really a lot of times I think that you have some great leaders around you that have taught you sort of how to be an effective administrator. And then you have others that have shown you how not to be uh, in your practice. So you learn a lot from both of those. Uh, So for me, the general manager program was fantastic at the Harvard Business School. The surgical leadership program is is, uh, more geared towards medicine. The general manager program was was really a lot of executives uh, from various walks of life, technology, oil industry, computer, uh, all, all kinds of aspects. So it really exposed me to a, a variety of fields. Uh, I think it helped me round off my, my ability to sort of be able to sit down 
with the business people at, at say the hospital or at industry companies and be able to understand what they're saying, be able to make sure that uh, I'm uh, an equal partner at the table, understanding what's going on. You know, it was fascinating. We've had a lot of people in the ortho show that have had their MBAs. A lot of people just grab their MBA, you know, while they're in school for whatever reason or another. But I think this sort of an application of the MBA is, is really probably best served where you, you know, you're coming in with tremendous amount of experience. You're looking to, to add additional skill set to what you're trying to do. And then you can go to a course like this and gain that, that knowledge and wisdom and be able to actually use it in, in practice. So I think that's awesome. And, you know, what a great use of time in the pandemic to be able to uh, be able to, to move forwards like that. And, you know, and it doesn't end there because I guess you, you, you're just not stopping, Joe. You've got, you got a lot of stuff that you want to do. I really want to talk to you about this MIT Sloan blockchain technology course that you took too. I, because, I mean, I think blockchain is really, you know, pushing into our space and we're old with gray hair. We're not supposed to know about this stuff and all the kids yeah. do. My, you know, my, my kids are always talking about it. So what was that course about? That sounds fascinating. Yes. So again, um, started becoming enamored and trying to understand what Bitcoin was about, what Ethereum was about, what what all these these new technologies were about, because I was even investing in them, but I didn't really understand what they were. And so the course at uh, the MIT uh, business program was really interesting because it t- takes you from the fundamentals uh, of what blockchain does and starts to make you understand that this is not going to maybe revolutionize the world. It is going to revolutionize the world, much like electricity did and the internet did. And, and you know, these great thought leaders that teach you in these course, at least from what I understood from them, this is going to revolutionize every industry. This is not a technology that's going to have an application in one or two industries like banking. Uh, it's going to have an application everywhere because it's going to create a permanent record so I think it's going to have like, one of the things I'm interested in, uh, in right now and writing about in preliminary aspects is how it's going to revolutionize medicine. Because we oftentimes, because we're such a big portion of the economy and we're so unwieldy and we're so regulated, we're the last ones to adopt these things. Right. But these things, this is going to be huge in medicine, because if you can create these, you know, permanent ledgers that show, OK, Joe Boot came in for surgery, you know, he interacted with you know, the pre-op, you know, the pre-op charge nurse, then he went to the OR, everything's going to be QRS code. And you're going to basically, they're going to be able to figure out to the, to, to the penny, how much your care really costs for that ASC experience, because no longer is it going to be a guesstimate of, well, a cuff repair is this much. No, when Joe Boots cuff repair was done by Scott, it, these are these, these are the resources that were exactly used. This is the line item of all the cost. And this is part of his permanent record on this, right? And it's going to continue to evolve. It'll impact probably medicine in maybe five to 10 years. We'll see more of it, right? Because we're talking about AR and VR right now, but other industries have been talking about that for 20 years. We just caught up. Yeah, no, where medicine's always, or the operating room in particular has always been very slow uh, to sort of follow in, in with technology. So look, you know, my mother's listening. And we have a lot of sort of non, you know, clinical people that are listening as well. Just sum up, you know, blockchain technology as, as in simple terms, if you can, as to what it is and, and how it's used. It's almost like a fingerprint on everything that you touch. So it can be a contract. It can be 
purchasing a car, it can be purchasing a home, it can be refinancing. It's going to allow permanent records to be made and archived and unchangeable. Uh, and they're going to be on, on the financial side, it's going to be amazing because no longer is the currency going to be the dollar or the euro. It's going to be this coin and this coin is going to have a record and value. And this is why one of the challenges of blockchain is it uses a lot of electricity because it's all archived in computers and it's all code that has to be written and it's not changeable. You can't steal it or copy it. It's very hard. You know, I don't think I can make it so simple to say to you that, you know, this is, it's not like in the old days where here's a piece of gold that has value. This is what it buys you. You know, this is going to be, you know, a system that I think will revolutionize the world in the, particularly the second and third world areas where the banking industries are prone to corruption and un, un, instability by governments. And you see a lot of people's money plummet if they have their money, let's say, in Venezuela or in Lebanon or wherever you ha have it, because the governments have been corrupt and they've devalued their people's money. This is a universal currency. Uh, and some of the challenges uh, of the U.S. is, you know, for, for the financial aspect is, currently not taxable it's hard to kind of know what you're making and they, i think the government's getting a little bit nervous there because they're not going to have full control of it yeah no it's uh you know it's it's certainly here uh it's it's coming and it's difficult to understand and so i think to be perfectly honest with you i'm signing up for that course dude i gotta figure yeah, this out for myself it, it's <laughs> it's really worth it because again i i just thought look I, I need to understand this better than just put some money in it and see what happens i really yeah. wanted to understand it I want an NFT of my hair. I suppose like, can't you do like a non-fungible, fungible token of like pictures and art and all these other yeah. crazy things. Yeah. Yeah. So, so lots of, lots of cool stuff happening. So look, we're about ready to close. I think that I'd like to ask you, we usually like to, to sort of provide some information for our listeners out there as well. Uh, you know, give us an idea of what you think the coolest innovation in the shoulder space is going to be as we move into 2022. For the last seven years, I've been very involved with, uh, and you've seen this, I think it's got this balloon spacer that, that lives between the ball of your shoulder and, and the roof called the acromion. And it's a simple device that's inserted, that's inflated with saline, that's resorbable, that essentially helps your shoulder recreate some of the mechanical advantages of, of the balance that your rotator cuff is supposed to provide when your rotator cuff is torn and so just like the reverse when i was training and coming out in 2004 revolutionized shoulder surgery and has been a huge player ever since and has really overtaken most every other arthroplasty option i think the balloon will with time show its efficacy and change the algorithm of how we approach irreparable rotator cuff tears who fit into certain criteria and it'll provide patients an option that's not as painful invasive and oftentimes uh, fraught with so much failures such as attempted repairs in these massive irreparable tears so this this balloon device i think is really uh, interesting technology uh that uh you know was released in july of uh, 2021 and we'll see uh, there's a big study coming out of the uh, randomized prospective study that was done. 
through the FDA for this investigational device exemption that it went through. So I'm, I'm, I have been and continue to be a very excited advocate for it. Yeah, no, it's interesting. When I was uh, took on the challenge of arthroscopic Latterjee about five years ago, Sharif and I went to Annecy. We also went up with uh, to England as well to Manchester with Matt Ravenscroft, and they were you know some of the earliest adopters of the balloon. So this was five years ago. Was watching them, you know, sort of both have access to it. Uh, so it was interesting when it did come out. I've actually done one at this point. I, it couldn't be an easier operation technically, that's for sure. But for our listeners out there, again, it's for, for patients that have uh, rotator cuff tears that you just can't fix. And we've had a bunch of solutions for it. You know, we take a piece of skin and you can try and reconstruct that, or you can do the reverse total shoulder replacement, or you try transfers. But, you know, this there's really a subset of patients that that this really, I think, has a great potential indication for. So really happy that you were, be able to, you were part of that to be able to bring that out and available to us. Hopefully we're going to get a code for it soon. Uh, so from the standpoint, we can start using it you know, more practically in the clinical setting. But uh, no, I think that, that that's really awesome. So listen, Joe, I mean, we really appreciate you being on. Uh, this is what we love to do here on the Ortho Show. We, we bring people on to tell their unique stories. I want to thank you personally for your commitment to education within orthopedics, especially within the shoulder space. You are really you know, one of our, our country's great leaders, world-renowned you know, as far as the activities that you do. So it's really a pleasure having you on the show. Scott, thank you so much. It's really uh, an honor to be on your show and uh, to have gotten to know you over the last uh, several years and your passions and, you know, uh, <clears throat> your style. I love it. Uh, you really, uh, you're, you're a phenom. So thanks for having me on here. Well, I really, really, great, really greatly appreciate that, Joe. This is Dr. Scott Sigmund, hashtag follow the fro, host of the Ortho Show. Till next time. <laughs>